Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You are listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. A very pleasant good evening to you. And welcome to That's Truth. I am Augustine Erskine, and alongside me is Pastor David Murphy, and we are here tonight, as usual, to answer your questions that you have posed, and also answer questions concerning the topic we'll be covering. And tonight we have two very interesting topics to cover. These are questions that came in from a listener, we have a listener who have sent in several questions, and tonight we are going to devote some of our time answering these questions. And so our topics will be covering women covering their heads in public worship, and also should Christian women wear pants slash trousers. And these are some controversial topics, but I do trust that we'll be able to give you some sound biblical answers to the questions tonight. Good evening, Pastor Murphy. Uh, good evening. How are you doing? Uh, today was a somewhat of a difficult day, but I'm glad to be here tonight. And hopefully we can provide some answers to the audience. Pastor Murphy, we have some very interesting questions to deal with tonight from our listener who have sent in these questions. And so, um, without any further ado, we are going to get right into the program tonight with our first question, which has to do with women covering their heads in public worship. And here's a question, Pastor Murphy, just as the listener wrote. First Corinthians 11 speaks of women covering their head in public worship. Was that just a cultural practice or a teaching that should be embraced today? Well, I think the way to deal with this problem or this question basically is to um, go to Corinthians chapter 11 uh, where this matter is addressed with the Apostle Paul and uh, see if there are any basis for uh, following this custom today, or was it just something that was cultural and that has no um, long-standing effect in terms of the church applying it, or is it applied to us today? And if it does apply to us today, uh, should we try to implement it? Uh, let me just make one or two general comments before I begin to look at the passage in Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, there's a lot of differences of opinion on this subject. Uh, um, I've known that this subject has actually divided churches. I would like to say that whatever conclusion we come to this evening, the intention is not to create division. Uh, it is trying to really get at the heart of a, um, a teaching to see if it is relevant for times and if the divine order that is set forth in Scripture uh, in the passage should be applied to ourselves. And even if we do differ, um, it is not worth splitting a church over a teaching or a doctrine of this nature. Uh, let me just say, personally, from a, my own perspective and my own study of the scripture, I am convinced 
that it is right and proper for a married woman uh, in the congregation to wear some kind of a covering. Um, I will try to um, show you from Scripture why I believe that is still relevant today. But again, that is my interpretation of it, and I believe that I have good, solid uh, hermeneutical skills uh, when applied to Scripture that would lead to that conclusion. So I, I do know it's a controversial subject. I do know that people have differences of opinion. I do know that some churches still practice this uh, custom and this tradition. And I also know that some churches feel so liberated that they no longer need to apply uh, the principles that are here uh, in the Scripture. Um, let me just say that the Apostle Paul, in, in this passage, uh, Corinthians chapter 11, is trying to address certain um, issues within the Corinthian church, uh, certain anomalies and abuses are set into the church. And those of you who are familiar with the Corinthian church, you know it's a church that was plagued with problems. Uh, from chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 30, the Apostle Paul uh, deals with two matters, and then the next chapter he begins to deal with the third problem that was within the church service and affecting the worship service. One had to do with uh, women using their new claim freedom in Christ and the liberty um, that they found in Christ where the distinction between male and female according to Galatians were obliterated and now that women are put on a level of equality uh, equality in terms of value and dignity equality in terms of their spiritual relation with God but what they failed to understand it did not refer to the equality in terms of functionality and what I mean by that is this um, God has set out order uh, from the time of creation until uh, presently and we have to maintain that order um, the entire universe of God is controlled by order he's the God of order but within the heaven itself there's a hierarchy there's the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit uh, within the, 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 the heavens again there's a hierarchy in terms of angels archangels then you've got cherubims and you've got seraphims uh, so clearly there is a divine order and uh, this is part of God's nature he's not a random God that just operates in a nonchalant way or without any kind of parameters or rules or guidelines that order was brought to bear in creation and that order from creation was intended to be perpetuated within the church uh, so we are a people that must try to recognize that uh, what God's order is and our obligation is not to violate that order because of the newfound liberty that we have but to live within the parameters that God has set listen, you are, and I are no freer than when we live within the parameters it's when we push the parameters that uh, freedom becomes license and becomes excess so in every area of life you have to have form and freedom uh, you have to have rules and guidelines, you have to have order. But within those rules and guidelines and that order, you can exercise your freedom. The problem comes when we exercise our freedom and we push back the borders and push back the borders, and then we go beyond the parameters that God has set, and that's where we have the problem. I said all of that to uh, draw your attention that this is what was happening within the Corinthian church. Uh, we might have had what you might call here the beginning of a women's lib movement, um, it didn't just start in the 21st century the 20th century uh, Christianity has done so much to elevate women and if you were to see, read the gospels and see how Christ and the disciples interacted with women um, this was a new phenomenon complete new phenomenon um, if I might say this on a Sunday I was dealing with the resurrection and I had to point out to the church that one of the clearest ways that you could know that the gospels is authentic 
is that the first witness that is used in the gospel to vindicate the resurrection is a woman. That is an anomaly. A woman's testimony was not even accepted in court. But yet, in the, in the Gospels, the first person that gives witness to the resurrection is a woman. Uh, I'm just saying to say to you that Christianity has really transformed um, the standard of women, the equality of women, the dignity of women. Uh, but this freedom has to be contained and live within the parameters God has set. So in, in this passage, um, um, if I might read part of it and then make my comments, uh, Paul says... Uh, he said, Now I praise you, brethren, verse 2, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. The Apostle Paul is about to chasten them, to censor them. But you notice the Apostle Paul, first of all, he, he, he gives them affirmation. He, he commends them for the fact that they have been following the dictates and the directives he's been given to them. Now he knows he's going to chide them. But it's always good when you're dealing with these kind of matters, first of all, to build the person, commend the person, find something good to compliment them about before you begin to, to chastise them. This is exactly what Paul is doing here in this passage. And then he goes on and says in verse 3, But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. The Apostle Paul is dealing, is about to deal with this matter of a woman wearing some kind of a head covering, and he begins with this concept of a hierarchy. Uh, he, and this is part of his argument that there's a hierarchy. Uh, the head of Christ is God, the head of man is Christ, and the head of man of woman is the man. He's establishing these three tiers of hierarchy. There's a hierarchy in God's way of thinking. It wasn't an accident that God created man first. This was part of God's divine order. So the first thing that Paul is here arguing is, um, and you'll see this later, is that there's a hierarchy. And in the worship service in the church, this hierarchy must be recognized and sustained. And one way in which this hierarchy was being violated was that the woman who was wearing a covering, and by the way, the covering was a symbol of her, of authority, that she had an authority over her head. Verse number 10 says, For this cause ought the woman to have power over her head because of the angels. So uh, the fact that he's... Um, explaining why she needs to have a covering is because the covering is a symbol of authority that she's under authority. Christ is under God the Father, man is under Christ, and the woman now falls under man. That's the argument that Paul is using in this particular passage. The veil of a woman was a symbol that she had authority on her head. And once she removed the veil, that was a a symbol that she was shedding that authority. Uh, We'll explain that in greater detail as we go on. So Paul says then... In verse 4, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonor of his head. So, Paul's argument is that the woman should have a covering, but the man should not have a covering. Why is that so? Because the head of man is Christ. Christ is invisible. So, there's no need for that symbol. He's invisible. But the woman's head is the man. He is visible. So, she has to have a visible symbol to recognize his authority over her. That is what Paul is is, is saying here, basically. And then verse... um, Five, but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonor of her head, for that is even as if she were shaven. In other words, once she removes this covering and this symbol of authority that uh, in the service shows that she recognizes that she's under the authority of her husband, she's now virtually in the same role on par as, the, as a husband. So Paul is saying, you might as well shave her head off like the men's head to shave, shave her off head too, because she's removed a veil, basically. So uh, Paul is now showing the impropriety and that this is indecorous uh, to have done something of this nature. 
And uh, so his argument is, if she wants to be a man, well, take off her hair. Let her be like a man, basically what Paul is saying. Verse 6, For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Uh, so if it was an embarrassment for a woman in those days to um, have her head shaved like a man, uh, Paul is saying, well, if she goes into the service and she removes her veil, shave off her head because she's acting like a man. That is what Paul is saying uh, in this particular passage. I want to notice the word shame there, by the way. That's a word that is lost today. Um, I think we have no very little concept of what shame is any longer or embarrassment. And as a, as a tragedy that that is so, because we have become increasingly desensitized uh, to so many things that nothing seems to bother us any longer. We don't seem to be concerned about whether or not the divine order and worship is followed any longer. Uh, we come into God's house, we dress any way we want to. Uh, we got a laissez-faire kind of a God. So the the, the whole standards and it's, it's being torn down and broken down. And but Paul is saying when it comes to the church. We must try to maintain the order, the divine order that God has already established um, in, cre- in creation. Verse 7, For man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image of the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man, uh, for the man is not for the woman. Except. Now Paul uses a second argument. Paul now talks, he talks about the hierarchy in heaven, basically, that God has established in the universe, the Father the son, man, and woman, that's hierarchy. And now Paul goes to the creation, and Paul is saying that uh, Christ, uh, man is the glory of Christ, and the woman is the glory of man. Uh, the, the argument that Paul is now presenting is that Adam is the first one created, and he was created immediately by God. There was no mediation whatsoever. He was a direct creation of God. And because of that, he reflects God's glory in a, in a way that a woman cannot reflect that glory. I'll tell you why. Because she was not created immediately by God. She was created immediately by God. And what I mean by that, she was taken out of man. So her glory, she reflects man's glory. Uh, and that's Paul's argument is that Adam direct from God, he directs God's glory. Woman direct from man, she reflects his glory. So the argument now again comes back now to creation. He's trying to build a case that a woman should have authority over her head when she's in the, in the public service, uh, in the worship service of the church. And then verse number um, 980 says, For the man is not uh, the woman, but the woman of the man. Uh, clearly, the Apostle Paul is emphasizing uh, again that woman came out of man. And verse number 9, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. He comes now to the purpose of creation, not just the order of creation, but the purpose, and, and here's why it's so important to recognize this, by the way. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Ephesians chapter 5 will tell you that. The church is for Christ. She's his bride. Uh, the, 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 the woman is for the man. See, In other words, the wife is for the husband. It's not a reverse. The, the church doesn't, Christ doesn't exist for the church. The church exists for the purpose of Christ. And Paul is saying similarly in relation to a man and a woman. She was created for the purpose of meeting uh, the man's needs and also to be a, a help meet. Now, those are facts that cannot be changed. Those are theological, historical facts that cannot be changed. That order was established from the very beginning, and that cannot be changed. 
um, verse 10 says, For this cause ought the woman to have power over head. Because of this, she ought to have a symbol of power over her head. And that's where the covering comes in. Uh, it's a symbol that she recognizes her submission, that she is subordinate to her husband. And in the congregation, that was a factor back then. I am not too sure it's a factor today. And that's where the problem comes in. Paul feels that when we meet in a worship service, uh, there should be some visible sign that we recognize the divine order that God has established. The veil in those days was that symbol, that the woman was under the authority of her husband and the man. Uh, the, the question today, of course, does the hat still symbolize that today? And that's where I think the issue has to be settled. But there should be some evidence of the recognition of this subordination within the public worship of the Lord in, in the church. And this is what Paul is trying to establish. So uh, verse 11 said, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither is the woman without the man, for as the woman is of the man, even so the man... Paul now doesn't want to seem as though he's causing a clash between the sexes. He's just established as an order, but just in case the woman feels slighted, and that uh, the suggestion that she is subordinate and she is to be submissive, that this now piques her anger, that she is now less than a man, Paul says, no, no that's not true. Uh, just that like you came out of man, man come out of you because you give birth to man, basically. So he's not, he's trying to avoid the contest between the male and the female because he maintains this, this, uh, this position that women should have a symbol that they recognize the subordination uh, to their husbands. But then Paul goes on to say something else. He says, Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Paul is now appealing to human instinct. Uh, if God has established this order in heaven, and God has established order from creation, and this order from the purpose of creation, Paul is saying, you, you tell me now. Does it seem reasonable that the woman should be praying or, or prophesying in the church in a worship service without this symbol of authority? He's appealing now to our spiritual instincts. That should fall in line with what God's order is. And then uh, he goes on a step further. He says, Doth not nature itself teach us that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. Now he appeals to something else. What's the natural order? And all of us uh, recognize that women normally have, usually have, uh, their hair grow much longer than men, much faster than men. So nature itself now is brought into the argument as another reason why a woman should have a covering. Because nature is showing to a woman by the, the profusion of hair that is grown, that this was, she was intended to have a covering. So nature is now uh, actually being used to back up the argument that she should have a covering. Uh, it, it, uh, the very natural process indicates that this was, uh, nature itself is actually supporting uh, God's plan that she should have some kind of authority over her head. And then Paul says, uh, he goes on and says, but if a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her, for hair is given to her for a covering. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and some people use that to say, well, if the hair is already covering, well, does she need a covering? But that's not the argument Paul is saying. Paul is saying the fact that her hair covers her head indicated it was intended that she has some kind of a covering of authority. See, that's what Paul is arguing in this passage. And then, um, there's another section in one other verse that uh, I think is, I, I missed it somewhere along the line. Oh yes, uh, verse 10, which says, For this cause ought the women to have power over their heads because of the angels. Another argument. Now whether we appreciate this or not, whether we understand this or not, we do not today live in a supernatural world in our thinking. 
we live in the natural world. When we go to church, we are not cognizant that there are supernatural beings present with us. We are so accustomed to the materialistic world we're living in, and so much being brainwashed by the scientific knowledge that we have received, and so much um, almost intimidated not to think in, in supernatural terms, that Paul is saying, look, when you meet together and you're worshiping in church, whether you know it or not, you don't only have human spectators, they're angelic spectators who are aware that God has established an order, and they want to see that God's order is followed. So Paul is bringing another argument here, that the angelic beings are there, they're watching, and they are trying to see if man has followed, is following the particular order that God has ordained. So the angelic argument is another reason why there should be this kind of a covering. But let's go on, go on to, uh, quickly to the, the last verse, uh, verse 16. He says, but if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such customs, neither the churches of God. And here's Paul's argument. The Corinthian church and these ladies who have got this new liberation in Christ and this new freedom, this new identity, this new equality, they're pushing the parameters that God has set. And they're going beyond the traditions and the standards that the churches have practiced. And, and Paul is saying in this passage, look, if you want to be contentious, there's no argument to be contentious with you. Basically, Paul is saying, because um, um, better man seem to be conscious. We have no such custom. Let that person know that this is the custom, the tradition within the churches. And by the way, notice not just the Corinthian church. Notice he says neither in the churches of God. This concept of covering or having some kind of a um, veil, as it were, uh, is not something that is unique uh, to the Corinthian church. This is a standard, a custom and tradition that. Uh, was established uh, in the churches uh, that Paul expected to be followed. There's an interesting verse that, um, because some people say See, it's tradition, it's tradition, it's tradition. But it's interesting that in Second uh, Thessalonians, I'm looking for the verse, I have it somewhere written down. The Apostle Paul, uh, writing to that church, told them to hold to the traditions that they have been given. Because they are coming, these are apostolic traditions. And remember that the apostles are those whom God has given His word through. They're inspired by God. So the traditions that they have given to the church are to be maintained because whatever they have given to the church is what God intended uh, to be given to the church. So when you look at all of this um, brief study of this passage, I have reached the conclusion that it's, it's right and proper for a woman to have her head covered in the church. Now, am I going to press that to the point where I divide a church and split a church? Absolutely not. But I do believe the biblical evidence supports it. Do I recognize that other people interpret this passage of Scripture differently? Of course I do that. I think they're wrong, but that doesn't mean that uh, I'm going to have a some kind of a massive clash that would disrupt the unity of the churches. Uh, so... I do believe that uh, there is biblical basis to do this. I do believe it should be practiced. But again, uh, I don't think it's a, 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 a doctrine that should be allowed to split churches who have a different opinion. Let me mention one other thing about this matter. I've heard the argument that back in the first century world, especially the Corinthian church, uh, which was so totally immoral. Uh, as a matter of fact, the word Corinthian was a term almost... Uh, synonymous with prostitute. Uh, I'm told that, uh, you know, in the temple prostitutes, they would shave off the hair, and one of the ways that women indicated that they were free and liberal, and, uh, you know, they were just going beyond the, the bonds of what was proprietors, and they were shaving off the hair, and 
people in the church and the women began to do that. Now that I I, I uh, I've heard that before, and uh, and and Paul is telling her to keep the hair on, not to shave the hair off. I've heard that before, but I think if the first sense of scripture makes good sense, that's the sense I want to go with. I think that is a concoction. I think there might be some basis for it, but I think if you take the Bible as it is and study it as it is, I really believe that there's sufficient evidence here to believe that it is right and proper that the head be covered in the worship service. Okay, Pastor Murphy, you have a long haul on the first um, question. Um, I think there's some debate on um, the interpretation of this passage of Scripture. You mentioned um, that you believe that it is like it's a general thing for um, head to be covered in a worship service. But isn't it a cultural thing in the Corinthian church? This was um, the practice of men not covering their head and the woman covering their head. I know it's talking about authority, but verse 16 said, um, but if any man seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. But it seemed like you were saying that it was the church's practice. But there are those who are saying that was a Corinthian thing. No, no the, the passage there, verse 16, don't confuse verse 16. What Paul is saying in verse 16 is that, look, if any man is conscious about what I've just told you, we don't have such a custom of this people. Uh, in other words, this kind of contentious custom. This is something that the churches have been, all the churches have been following. So Paul is not saying here that um, we don't have a custom like this in the Corinthian church. That's not what he's saying. His whole argument is, look, if you want to be contentious, we don't have a, cust- a custom of you people being contentious about this issue. Uh, because this is what all the churches practice. See, that's what Paul is saying. As a matter of fact, can I say this? Um, the whole, I, I don't know, to if I hope the audience haven't missed what I've done. But basically, Paul has already given you about five reasons why a woman's head should be covered. Let me give them again to you. Number one, the divine hierarchy. hierarchy. Number two, the created order. Number three, the purpose for creation. Number four, the angelic um, uh, witness that is there. And number four, number five, this is what we have ordered in all the churches. So he gave you five reasons why this should be done. So I, uh, I, I, I don't think you can just take that one thing, basically, uh, how, you, how you interpret that. No, but um, I, I see this like he is concluding that um, whole um, topic there. Uh-huh. And then he's saying, we have no such custom. Uh-huh. Well, it's both the men not um, wearing a covering and the woman wearing covering and, and vice versa when they are praying and prophesying. But the, the conclusion to me is that it's not so uh, a custom among the other churches, probably in Corinth or, or whatever. It was a Corinthian thing. I have never heard that interpretation yet. I mean, that is one of the most bizarre interpretations I've heard. Uh, if you follow the logical order, Paul's whole argument here is that the woman should have a covering. The man should not have a covering. That's the entire argument of this chapter. Now he's come to the end, and he's talking about this contentious, people content, contending about this issue. We don't have this kind of a people, uh, this customary way of people, do, people contesting this. In other words, it's not a custom for anybody to be contentious about this issue because this is what's practiced in all the churches. That's what Paul... Um, but I've never heard that before, and uh, I can't see how I can read that into it. Uh, but again, if that is how some people think of it, I think they need to reevaluate that interpretation by reading the entire context. The whole argument of the passage is that the woman should be covered when she's praying or when she is uh, prophesying. A man should not be covered 
because of the order. He doesn't have to have a symbol of authority because the invisible Christ is his symbol. The woman, on the other hand, should have the symbol of authority because her head is there and she ought to show respect to her head because she's visibly there. That's the order. But um, uh, just to um, put in another one here. Sure. In verse 13, uh-huh. there are some who said, who said, judge in yourselves. Like, it's leave it up for the Corinthians them to make that decision, make up their mind. Yeah, yeah but again, if you read the context, and the, Paul, is, Paul is arguing. Paul is presenting one argument after another. Uh, he doesn't say point one, point two, point three, point four. But if you go through the sequence, the logic of it, you can see that he's talking about the hierarchy in heaven. You can see that he's talking about the created order, the purpose of creation, the fact that uh, angels are there. Uh, the fact that nature itself, uh, by showing that a woman's hair is covered more than a man, that it indicated it was supposed to be a covering. No, Paul is saying, no, look at that. In light of all of the evidence I've just given to you, uh, te- uh, in verse number, what number was? Verse number, number 13. Judge, um, in yourselves. Is this company that, you know, it, it, can it be, is it proper now, or is it improper for a woman, is it not a company thing for a woman to cover her head? You judge now because of what I just told you. See? So I think that Paul is expecting you to take the evidence he's been presenting and then appeal to your sanctified imagination and your informing. And Paul is now saying, okay, I've given you the evidence. You tell me, based on the evidence given to you uh, yourself, look at the evidence and tell me if it would be not a company thing for a woman to do, etc. So I think he's expecting you to use the evidence. And let me put it this way. Uh, the Apostle Paul, um, while he is given a directive, and he's given directives in Scripture, he always appeals to the fact that we do have certain levels of liberty. But at the same time, he's watching you to use that, your, 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 your biblical knowledge, the evidence, I present the order, and then you make a judge. Tell me if this is not, doesn't seem to be a sensible thing to do, that what I've told you is, is reasonable, basically. That's what I think Paul is saying. Pastor Murphy, could this passage also have to do with the issue of um, gender identity, that the distinction between male and female was blurred? Well, I don't know if it was blurred or not, but I do believe that whether um, whether it was intended that way, clearly in the in that period of time, uh, men wouldn't wear a veil, and uh, men would women would wear a veil. So clearly there was a distinction in the form of dress and the form of, um, you know, um, I think that was right and proper. So I do think that it did have some distinction. It did draw some attention to the distinction between the gender, male and female. Um, if you go back into the Old Testament, by the way, the other thing I would have said about this um, is that when um, Rebecca, I think it was Rebecca, um, there's a passage yes, where, Rebecca. yeah, that when she, put, when she learned Isaac was coming, she put on a veil because it was a sign of modesty. A sign of modesty. Uh, so it also had other symbolic uses. It did distinguish the sexes. It, it was a means of displaying discretion and modesty. But also, it also was a symbol of authority over the head. So it had more than one purpose. But what Paul is drawing at in the, in the text is not the gender distinction here. It is not really the, the matter that it was something that was displayed modesty. I think what Paul is really concerned about is the, the authority, that she needs to have something that would show her authority. Pastor Murphy, we have a WhatsApp message here from St. Kitts. And here's the question. we really like to know more of this topic because people in the church saying the covering is a hat on their head. Well, the reason why that became a covering on the, the covering of the head is because um, the in our Western culture, the hat has replaced the veil. 
And uh, that's why I said the problem we're having, um, my problem with the text, basically, and the application of the text today, is not that they should not be, a woman shouldn't have a covering. My problem is, what's the appropriate symbol to use today? Uh, back in those days, the veil was a symbol that she was under authority. I am not too sure today the use of the hat that it indicates that, that symbol of authority. Uh, so that is where I have the problem. But the key thing in the passage is that we must recognize there's a divine order. And what has been happening in churches is that we are slipping and slipping away. We want to get away from uh, this rigid formality that we've seen in the established churches that, that in a great extent that, you know, they almost... Um, are so rigid, everything is dung packed, and we've gone to the extreme where there's almost chaos and disorder. But there is a divine order that should be in the church. Uh, Paul will tell them later that God is not the author of confusion. And we've got to be careful because we keep pushing back these limits and these limits and these limits and these limits. Where the church today, uh, it bothers me greatly, uh, I must say, when I pass certain churches and I hear certain activities, uh, it creates a great concern for me. Look, we all want revival. We all recognize that this society, whether it be Antigua or Barbados or another country, we understand that we are headed to a chaotic, catastrophic situation. The morals are very low. Pornography has taken over, not just in the world, it's eaten out the soul of the church. Uh, there is a complete disinterest in the Lord's work and the Lord's ministry. We know we need revival, but I, my problem with this, all of us know we need revival, but here's my problem. God cannot bless a church that violates and goes against his order and that quenches the spirit. Uh, and this is where we need to be as a people, understand that God cannot bless disobedience. And in the church, we've turned it into an entertainment center. And we've really, really, uh, it's all about man and how we feel when we go to church. The worship is not so much directed towards God and his glory. It's about, it's about the people, it's about us. And I think that shift in, in, in worship is detrimental to the church. And I think God is robbed of his glory. God is uh, grieved. And I think substantially that's why we see no revival. So that's why I think it's so important for us to discover what's the biblical order and live within the framework, framework of God's order because we as God people got to be obedient to Scripture. Pastor Murphy, so um, to the listener in saying it's thinking about the covering where it's hat but according to the text it's talking about veil, uh, veil yeah. in the first instance and then in verse 15 it talks about the hair yeah. which is also um, a covering yeah. but let me just say to the audience uh, in our church in Barbados where I'm from um, it's the custom that we believe that this passage really relates to the fact that women should wear a covering and uh, Barbadian in our in our in our congregation would wear a hat ladies would wear a hat uh, that's the covering some would wear a veil as well uh, but the, the important thing is to have a symbol on the head that recognizes that she has an authority, she's in subordination. And again, I want to say that this is not just about us in this service. It's not just about people. The Paul said the angels are watching. It, it's, the, it's, it's like, we, as I said, I think our biggest problem is that we've lost touch with the supernatural. We into a church building and we have a service and we leave a service and we're not even conscious of who is there beside human beings. And Paul's point is that angels haven't... Remember that there are ministering spirits to those who are ears of eternal life, book of Hebrews. So Paul takes into another realm, a supernatural realm. And Paul is letting the church know that in our worship service, the observers are not just men. They're angels. And they are concerned about the divine order. So we don't do these things just because of people. We do them because 
uh, we sanction the order that God has established and we recognize that there's supernatural beings in our service that we're not cognizant of. And so we live within that concept of the supernatural rather than just the material. So, Pastor Murphy, in rounding off, um, according to the question that the um, listener wrote, was that just a cultural practice or a teaching that we should embrace today? In just a few words, just um, sh- summarize my, it. My view, has, as I stated beginning again, the arguments that Paul used cannot just be cultural. How can be the hierarchy in heaven be cultural? How can the creation be cultural? The arguments he's using are not cultural arguments. He's using arguments for the hierarchy of headship. He's using arguments for the created order. He's using arguments for the purpose of creation. He's using arguments that the angelic beings are there to observe the order. So how can this just be a cultural matter? And then... Paul is saying, look, we don't, if you want to be contentious, we don't have a custom of you being contentious about it because this is something that we practice in all the churches. And then in, in Thessalonians, Paul told the Thessalonians, I'll find the passage before the, the, uh, the program is over tonight, because I did take that passage where Paul tells the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, that they are to hold to the traditions that the apostles have passed on to them. Hold to them. Don't, don't surrender them. Because what they have passed on to the church is what God's will is. For the church, I'll, I'll, I'll find that uh, before the program is over this evening and share it with the audience. I think uh, verse one also um, could answer that question with um, tradition. The word the ordinance could re- also refer to um, yeah, that tradition. word ordinance is tradition, by the way. It is. I checked it out. Okay, let's move on to our next question, Pastor. Yes, go ahead, sir. Okay, we have a next a question to deal with, coming from the same listener, and here's the question. Should Christian women wear pants? What is the biblical teaching on this subject? Well, um, I am not too sure whether the person refers to the use of pants, generally speaking, or use of pants going into the church service or the worship service. I'm, I'm not too sure exactly what specific um, focus this, this, this uh, question wants me to deal with. But let me just say, generally speaking, um, there is no biblical passage that says a woman should wear pants, a woman should not wear pants. Let's be very, very clear about that. What the Bible emphasizes in regards to women and and, and, wear, and, and garments, etc., the Bible lays uh, its emphasis on modesty. And that is found in First Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 9, where Paul talks, verse number 7, Paul calls upon the women to dress modesty. So, um, the question is, Therefore, how do how do pants how do pants relate and fit into this this parameter of modesty? My my own view of this matter. This is my my personal view as a pastor. I personally um, do not like the pants for ladies. I personally don't like that. Uh, the reason why I don't like it is because I think in many ways it is uh, more revealing, and I do think that women are not as cognizant as they should be that man's this problem is he's attracted by sight. I, I think the um, what happens and what could happen you take the pants they are so tight in the first place today that uh, you can see every curve and every crevice I am very concerned that a woman would want that to be seen of her body a woman's body belongs to her husband it's not something to put on display, she's not selling anything uh, and I think she should be discreet and be concerned look we must not be the instrument of tempting men. And because a woman is not tempted necessarily by sight, 
she assumes that that's not the case with men. But any man would tell you that uh, his, his problem really is his, his, his sight. Basically, he, that, that's his, his greatest. Women are more keen to touch. You can set her fire off by touching her. With a man, his fire can be set off immediately by just sight. So I am not a person who is in favor of the pants. However, let me say this. I do feel there are times when the pants is more appropriate than even a dress. Now, Pastor, you seem to be contradicting yourself. Well, life is full of contradictions, but I must be honest with you. When a woman is playing, uh, 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 doing athletics, or she's going on a hike, uh, or she's climbing a mountain, or she's doing some other um, activity that could expose uh, her private, etc. Uh, clearly, a pants is more appropriate than a dress in that case. Uh, my recommendation for women who don't want to be a means of creating lust in men would be to, to wear the pants and wear a, a skirt or short skirt over. That would be my recommendation. But I do feel that there are times when the pants is more appropriate than the dress. The other thing I would like to share with the audience, I have a very good friend in the States, and I remember asking him a qu- the, the question. I said to him, I wouldn't give his name, but I said to him, brother, and I called, I said, what is the greatest problem that men have in the church in the United States of America? And I will never forget the answer he gave me. And he said to me, Pastor Murphy, what we, the problem we have in, in the church in America is lust. And I was trying to figure out, what do you mean by lust? He said, Pastor, the women today come with all of these tight pants, and we are sitting in back of her, she's getting up, she's singing, she's moving, and we don't go there intentionally to our eyes are captivated by her figure, etc., etc. But he said to me, that is one of the biggest problems we have in the States. And uh, I think he was being honest. I was recently in the States for just about two weeks, and I attended a, a, one or two services, and I can say to you that substantially he's correct about that. And I would caution ladies, uh, if you have God's interests at heart and you have concern for the Lord's work, I would ask you to kindly reevaluate uh, your use of the pants uh, in the church, uh, especially the worship service. I will also ask you to consider it in your workplace where you go to work, because if it's offending the men in the church in such a way, can you imagine what's happening in the workplace? Something to give some thought about. I need a break. Pastor, we have two um, questions here from a listener in Antigua. Sure. And the first one says, according to your explanation, does the covering apply to single women? Okay. Now, this is where I have, I am not settled in my mind in that regard as yet, to be very honest with you. I do know, I do feel very strongly, and I'm convinced that a married woman should have a covering of authority overhead. But again, if you look at the text, uh, to be very honest, Paul is talking about the male and the female. He doesn't talk about husband and wife in this passage. So it does seem that it would be uh, a much broader application that Paul is dealing with, that within this church service itself, uh, women should have this symbol that they recognize that they are out of man, and the man is their head, and uh, they're under authority. But definitely, while I might still be hedging a little bit about unmarried women, I have no doubt in my mind about a married woman. I think it would be right and proper that she have that symbol of authority over her head because her husband is in the, in, the, in the service. Pastor Murphy, the next part of the um, question has to do with wearing pants. said, Scripture prohibit women from wearing pants. Should we judge those who wear it? Well, I don't. I didn't say that Scripture forbids women from wearing pants. Uh, I, I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. Now, I know in the book of, uh, I think it's Leviticus, it says a woman should not wear a garment pertaining to a man, a man should not wear a garment. That's, that's what you might call being transvestite, a man dressed like a woman, etc., etc. I know, there's a passage of scripture that 
um, they normally use from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. Let me read, read it for it, you. It says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord. Uh, again, I think everybody in here, I mean, everybody listening know that there, there, there are women pants and there are men pants. If I saw a man wearing a woman pants, I, I would wonder if he is one of them. So clearly there's a distinction between a male pants and a woman pants. So the application of Deuteronomy, uh, I don't think is applicable there. Uh, but, uh, look, because there's no clear the Bible tells you, for example, take smoking, you take alcohol, you, you take issues like that, that there's no clear biblical passage saying you shouldn't smoke. But there's a principle involved in the whole matter, and the principle of modesty must be brought to bear on this matter of um, women wearing the garment. Can you read the question again for me, because I lost my thought there, the, the question that came in. Scripture prohibit women from wearing pants. Mm-hmm. Should we judge those who wear it? We're not to judge the man in the world, by the way. Uh, Paul makes that clear in a, a passage of Scripture. But we're to judge those within the church. Uh, and when I say judge that, uh, it's appropriate that we uh, use our judgment in these matters. Uh, I, if a person come to our church wearing the pants, uh, I am not going to, um, you know, look, all of us in the growth process. I've come to these convictions for studying the Word for a number of years. There are some believers who are still not mature. They're still going to the Lord. You have to give them some kind of a liberty. What I would say to churches is that I think when it comes to leadership in the church, people playing prominent roles of leadership in church, I think you ought to have standards so that you motivate those people who are in the church coming through the process and maturing and developing as they want to get involved in church ministries. Then you set some certain standards. So I think it has to be in stages. I think we must not just write them off as though they don't have any interest in, in, in God, etc., etc. It takes some of us some time, a long time, before we fully understood the real biblical principle and motive behind something before we actually change. So we've got to give some time uh, for people to change. The other thing I would like to say this, uh, brother, when it comes to modesty, I would suggest to ladies that uh, really serious Christians that I do believe there's a standard of modesty that a principle that you can extract from the Old Testament that will help you to understand what is really modest in terms of your dress is concerned. Let me use it for you. The Lord told the, the ladies, the women of Israel, that he will expose their shame. And uh, and he, the, when he said expose their shame, and he says, the next words that he used, I will uncover your thighs. So what the Lord is equating shame with the thigh, and the thigh is that region from your knee to your crotch. That is the area, and I think that that is the area where a woman should feel shame, uh, uh, shamed about. That part of her body, from her knee, above her knee to her crotch, she should be careful that her dress doesn't expose that area. Because as far as God is concerned, that is shameful. So if I was a woman trying to decide what's the biblical standard for modesty, that would be part of the criteria that I would use. That God said, I will uncover your thigh and shame you as women. Because the uncovering of the thigh is that part of the woman's body that should bring shame to her. And today, what do we have? The shorter above the knee, the shorter, the shorter. And again, I would like to say, all you're doing is creating a, a, a great deal of lust in society. And by the way, we're supercharging the men. They've got pornography already. Now they've got naked women on the beach. They've got naked women in the town. And they've got almost half naked women in the churches. So what are we doing to help men in curtailing and holding back their passions that they have? Uh, women, please, be part of the solution 
and don't be uh, those that add to the problem to create greater lust and greater desires to, to cause a man to be more easily destroyed in that area. Remember that the angels are there and they're looking for the order and looking for some respect. Pastor Murphy, is it a fact that many Christians today are suffering from a cultural conditioning rather than a biblical transformation? Well, well said and well put. We, rather than having a culture in the church, we're having the culture of the world seeping into the church. As someone has said, it's okay when the ship is in the water, but when the water begins to enter the ship, the ship is going to sink. And I think that's substantially what has happened to us. Rather than get our rules and our guidelines and our principles from Scripture and try to live within the parameters that God has set for us, try to discover what is modesty from a biblical perspective, go into this Old Testament, into the New Testament, read those passages that deal with dress and see what would be God's order for us. Because cultures change. And uh, modesty in every culture is marked by certain standards. And we need to discover, discover what those standards are, uh, taking biblical guidelines to help us to do that. But Pastor Murphy, we, yes. seems like we have a listener from St. Kitts want to go live on here. Hello, listener. Yes, um, I heard you, the pastor, you make a statement in saying um, he will not stress on having a lady or ladies having their hair, their head uncovered in church. But you must remember the word say, you know. Uh, uh, not yeah. to go before the father with your head uncovered. Yeah. May, may I respond uh, to you, sir? Excuse me? May I respond to you? I w- let me respond to you in that regard. Now, I am ta- talking about, I'm talking about a public confrontation, uh, a private converse- a conversation with a person like that is in order. If you feel that that's the proper thing to do, it's a biblical thing to do, and it's not uh, being practiced, I do feel as a pastor you need to talk to the person and say, listen, I would, you know, this would be the order. Uh, but uh, I would not lambaste them. Uh, in a public forum where it could cause some kind of embarrassment. Whether the people that are around you, I see a little. Hello, caller. Our time is up, so we'd like to thank you for calling, and probably next week you could join us again. Okay, thanks for calling. We'd like to thank you very much for being a part of the program tonight. We do trust that you have enjoyed the program. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 megahertz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM. Or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.